millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium. And we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, I promise you will love my new audiobook for Moms Don't Have Time to a Quarantine Anthology. It's not about the quarantine, but a lot of the essays were written during that time about other things that moms don't have time to do or other busy people, things like reading, eating, working out, breathing, having sex, and 60 best-selling and notable authors wrote essays. All those authors have been on this very podcast. So if you like to listen to my conversations, if you want to get to know these authors better, I read the audiobook myself. Check it out on Audible, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. Again, Audible, audiobook. Go listen to it. It's like 60 mini podcasts. I hope you enjoy. Hannah Halperin is the author of Something Wild. She's a graduate of the MFA program at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Her stories have been published in the Kenyan Review, N Plus One, New Ohio Review, Joyland, and others. She has taught fiction workshops at Grub Street in Boston and worked as a domestic violence counselor. This is her debut novel. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss something wild. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) I literally had a dress, by the way, with this exact same pattern. I'm going to have to find it and send you a link or something. You can like wear it to match your cover if you want. (laughs) Okay. So this is your debut novel. It's really exciting. Congratulations. Could you tell listeners what Something Wild is about? Yeah. Okay. So Something Wild is the story of two adult sisters, um, Nessa and Tanya Bloom, and they go home for the weekend to help their mother clean out their childhood house. And that weekend, they discover that their mother is in an abusive marriage with their stepfather. And they both have very different reactions to finding this out and different approaches to trying to get their mother to leave the relationship. And it ends up like stirring up for the sisters this 
incident that happened to them when they were teenagers that they've never spoken about before. Wow. Okay. So how you, I know you have an MFA. Was this part of your program? Like, was this your thesis or when did you, how did this whole thing happen? Yeah. No, it, it wasn't my thesis, but I did write a short story while I was in Wisconsin at my MFA that was surrounding, it was about these two teenage girls that, you know, kind of had this traumatic incident happen. And this story just kind of like stuck with me and it was haunting me. And I, I knew that I wanted to do something more with it. So it was this story that I wrote back in 2015 that I kind of ended up expanding and it, it eventually became the novel. So it, it did grow out of that time in Wisconsin. Was yeah. the scene, the scene was with the girls and it was, his name was Daniel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was it, it was, it was with the girls with Dan and, but it was actually the, the story, the two girls were friends. They weren't sisters. And, and I ended up thinking because the story was really about the fallout between the two girls. Cause you know, this, this traumatic thing happens and, and it was really about the the friendship between these two girls. And after this, this thing happens, you know, the, the fallout between them. And I started asking myself if they were sisters and you don't really have the same option to sort of go your separate ways. If your sister is sort of what happens to that relationship. So it became a story about sisters and family rather, rather than just friends. Wow. I mean, the scene that most sort of rattled me in the whole thing was the night of the abuse of the mother. And when they came to clean out the house and finding their mom sort of slumped over in the kitchen and her eyes are all bloodshot and having to take her to the hospital. And one of the sisters like standing guard against the the stepfather sort of coming back and all the complicated feelings they have about the stepfather, because like just earlier that day, like one of them had been out for a walk and, you know, they're all desperate for approval at the same time in a way, like all children are of their parents. And yet what happens when that figure is so flawed? Anyway, I thought that was just, it was just so haunting to see a mom sort of in such a position of like weakness almost with her kids. Tell me about how that element of the story came to be or what you were looking to explore or anything about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. So, you know, I was I was writing the story about sisters and I became really interested in their mother. And, you know, another another piece of sort of, I guess what was going on with me or my life sort of after the MFA is I, I took this job as a domestic violence counselor and I started thinking a lot about how trauma and violence is passed down in families, you know, from generation to generation. And, you know, this was something that I was thinking, I was thinking and exploring a lot in my fiction, like sort of before I took a job as a domestic violence counselor. But in, in my job, I was sort of seeing that play out in ways, in stark ways that I hadn't maybe before. And so, you know, I started asking a lot sort of about the Bloom family, like what, what was going on? What, what had they seen as girls, both kind of in these loud ways, but also in these very like subtle insidious ways. And Nessa and Tanya have like, as you said, very different perceptions of their stepfather, of their parents. And I was really interested in how two sisters could grow up in the same family, grow up with the same parents and the same step-parents and see them all so differently. Despite, you know, I, I see Nessa and Tanya as very close, even though they have like a very complicated relationship. So th that was something that I, I wanted the book to explore. 
And also even the effects on their own sexuality and their relationships and how they end up sort of navigating that after everything that's happened and what they've seen and, you know, sort of the self-destruction that can come with picking the wrong partner at times or, you know, not being fulfilled or, you know, working in the psychiatrist's office and like going through the files to snoop on a, on a potential patient. And like, you know, that's, it's like, it's like, how could I find a, a a worse suited person than like somebody who a is like, you know, unethically that I shouldn't even like go for. And like, you already know their problem. Although maybe, I don't know, maybe it's better just to know going in what you're dealing with as opposed to meeting a stranger in a bar and finding out. Yeah. Yeah. That was a very dysfunctional, I mean, there there was many dysfunctional relationships in in this book, but that, that was, that was one of the ones that you, you you know, you saw right off the bat sort of, you know, both of them were, you know, using each other in, in various ways, but. And I also really liked how, sorry, I'm just like sort of jumping around here, but I liked how you depicted the stepmom and how at first, when she first sort of arrived and sitting in the, it wasn't a convertible, but in my head it is. So, but but like sitting there to pick up the girls for one of their weekends and how years later it turns out, like that's someone that they felt comfortable or one of them felt comfortable enough sort of confiding in and the role of step-parents. I don't know if you have step-parents or do you have step-parents? I don't know. I I don't, my, so my, my parents got divorced in the middle of me writing this book. No. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it was, that was kind of strange for me because I, you know, the book is so much about divorce and, and then, and I had written most of the divorce scenes and then, and then my parents got divorced and that sort of changed, you know, my, I, I, in a way I felt kind of closer to my characters after that happened. And, but the character of the stepmother, Simone was someone who surprised me like while I was writing it, because, you know, at first I saw her the way that, you know, Nessa and Tanya saw her as sort of like an invader into their family. And then the more I wrote her, you know, I started seeing her in this more three-dimensional way. And, you know, you know, first I saw her as sort of someone that, you know, they project a lot of their anger and fantasies onto. And, and, and then, and then she became, as you said, someone actually that, you know, they can trust and most of the adults in their life, they can't trust. And so she became, you know, and in a way, like all the characters are pretty flawed, but yeah, she, she was someone who I actually really enjoyed writing because she kept surprising me as I was, as I was writing her. Wow. I love when yeah. authors say that, that their characters surprise them and <laughs> you never know what they're yeah. going to do. And that's great. It was also interesting how the, the town itself changed, right? Sort of the bougie-ish, the, the, you know, what's the word gentrification almost of maybe that's the wrong word still, but how, how this tiny town outside Boston became like the hipster new hot place and the people who had been there forever, how you have to cope with that. And that happens like all the time. I feel like all these neighborhoods keep changing and, you know, there are all these old remnants, right. Or like a ranch house or a dilapidated this next to like the super trendy, I don't know, hot yoga studio or something. Mm-hmm. And how do the sort of townies, if you will, like deal with their town being taken over and sort of examining that in all of their lives really, but particularly the moms as she like packs her bags and heads on out. Tell me about that sort of plot line. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I chose to 
right at in Arlington, which is pretty close to where I grew up. And, and now I'm living, you know, very close by to Arlington. So like I, I, you know, took a lot of walks around where I knew the Blooms grew up. And then, and then I like chose where I, I chose the house that I was like, okay, they live here. And I would like take a lot of walks around their neighborhood. And, and I did a few interviews with people who have lived in Arlington for a long time, just to sort of get an idea of like, what did Arlington used to be like? And what is it like now? And, you know, did some research on, on how has Arlington changed? I mean, it was really interesting to find out sort of, yeah, how it's changed throughout the decades. And I, I wanted to, you know, give a sense of why, both why Arlington was becoming not a viable place for Lorraine and, and Jesse to stay anymore, but, and, and what, what it had been like for them to, to grow up in that town. It's so funny that you talk about picking a house because mm-hmm. I've noticed a bunch of authors do that. They have like a specific house in mind. Like I just interviewed Sunny Hostin, Summer on the Bluffs, and the book on the cover is one. She's like, oh yeah, I used to like walk around the house all the time. Like that was their house. And even like J. Courtney Sullivan said, like it was her old babysitter's house that she like described in detail. And I'm thinking about all these characters sort of wandering through these actual houses and how it's almost like non-historical fiction, right? It's almost like, right? It's like modern day, it's like alternative reality in a way. It's like almost like we're all making up these imaginary friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, I'm like, maybe I'm just talking to crazy people all day long. <laughs> it, it is a little nuts. Like, you know, it's all these like dramas going on, you know, in our, in our minds. But it, it it became, you know, I think actually the setting used to be when I first wrote the novel, I didn't have much of a setting in the book. And that was something, you know, my, my editor, Allison really, you know, she was like, I want, I want more of a setting there. And that was something that kind of came out much more in revision. And, and I think it made the novel, I hope, I hope that it made the novel stronger. No, for sure. I mean, I feel like I, there's some books I pick up after I've read them and I, like, I, I'm immediately like in that place. And this one was sort of in the neighborhood and, you know, looking in the windows and, you know, restaurants that that have replaced ones that now you can't even like afford to go in. And I don't know, this whole neighborhood, even like the random guy on his little bike about to have that crash, this poor little boy. I don't know. I feel like this is very much like on the sidewalks of the town. And anyway, all to say, well done. (laughs) Yeah. Did you always want to be a writer? Like, how did you end up? Did you know you wanted to be a novelist or how did, how did this, and how did you end up becoming a domestic violence counselor? That's like a very interesting choice of job after an MFA program. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the cat in the hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcasts. 
That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. I, I mean, I've, I've always... I've always wanted to be a writer since, you know, I was like a little kid. And so, yeah, I've always been writing and I'm kind of, you know, blown away that it's actually happening. It's, it's very exciting. And yeah, I, I mean, the domestic violence job, you know, I think at the time I felt that it was like, I think at the time I thought it was random. And now looking back, I don't think it was a random choice at all. And you know, it was, it was after my MFA, it was like close to the MFA ending. I, you know, I remember I was like, what am I going to do? And I was, you know, Googling, I knew that I wanted to move to Martha's Vineyard. Again, I'm not really sure why I just had the dream of moving there at some point. And I, you know, I Googled, you know, jobs on Martha's Vineyard and this opening for a domestic violence position came up and, and I decided to take it and I moved there you know, not really knowing what I was getting into. And I moved there alone and it was just like very interesting. And I, I really like love the work. I'm still doing that now as part-time and, and, you know, was writing alongside it. And I think it's something that, you know, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's, it's like, it's random. I mean, I, I think like it's, those are dynamics that I've explored in my writing. I think it's like impact, it's impacted my life in ways. And yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm very grateful to be doing it. I, it's very, it's very humbling work. And yeah, that's, wow. That's really great. You're doing that. It must be, must take a lot out of you to have that immediacy, right? The people are calling the hotline, right? Like, you know, the people who do, who make that call are already at a certain point, right? In their journey. It's not just like survive, you know, you have to, to get to that point is it would take a lot, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, the work that I was doing on Martha's Vineyard, I was doing direct services. So I was working on a hotline and the work that I'm doing now, I'm, I'm working in an abuser education program. So it's a program for abusers. Oh my we gosh. provide yeah, counseling and education and, and I'm in contact with, you know, the partners and ex-partners of the abuser. So it's, you know, it's less direct services, but yeah, I, I find it like really, really meaningful and important work and it, you know, yeah, I, I guess I'm just very grateful to be for to be doing it. Have you had experience with violence in your own life in any way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like, and again, I think one thing that the the book explores is, I mean, the book explores, you know, very severe physical violence, but I'm, you know, j- just as interested, you know, in emotional violence and, and psychological violence. And I think one thing this job has taught me is like, there's no hierarchy. And so I'm like, I'm interested in all of that. And, you know, I, I hope, I hope that the book opens up conversation and sparks conversation for, 
you know, to discuss all of that. And so what happened after you wrote this book? So you knew, have you started working on another book or was there a long time of revisions or like what happened after, after it sold or tell me like the whole story? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we sold this back, I think, I think it was 2019 and then we, you know, we did a lot of revisions on it and, and I've been working on that. And then during quarantine, I, I, I wrote the first draft of another novel and I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, wow. and that's what I've been working on now. And good for you. You know, I mean, like it, it's kind of a balancing act of, you know, cause right now we're like very much, you know, doing things for, for this novel. And, but I'm, I'm very excited to sort of be working on this, this second novel too. And can you say anything about that one? I mean, it's, I guess what I can say about it is it's, it's, it's kind of like a portrait of a relationship and it has to do with like addiction and codependency and obsession and um, that, yeah, that's, that's kind of where, where I'm at with it at this point. Wow. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So are you like, how do you feel with this novel, like coming out into the world after all this time and another novel? I mean, it's so exciting to be a debut author. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm like nervous. It's very surreal, you know, to, to think of people reading it and I'm excited, but I'm, you know, kind of terrified. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I think my advice would be to, you know, figure out, kind of get to know yourself as a writer and figure out like, what are the conditions under which you write? And I think, I think it's different for everyone. So if, if you're the kind of writer who writes best when you know that people are going to read your work or you have a, or, you know, you work best when you have deadlines, like figure out ways to give yourself deadlines or, you know, get, get some friends together and make a writing group or join a writing class. If you, you know, I think a lot of people tend to write more when they're reading, especially when they're reading writers that like resonate with them. And it's sort of like find those writers that like when you're reading them, make you want to put down, put down the book. So you start writing, you know, sometimes I think like we have to like almost play tricks on ourselves in order to get us to write, like convince ourselves like, okay, like our parents are never going to read this or like certain people are never going to read this. And like almost sort of, you have to really get to know yourself to figure out like, okay, what are the things that are blocking me or what are the things that are going to make it really happen? And then give yourself those things. Love that. Did you end up having like regular times? Like what, what did you do? Like, what was your process like in writing it? I mean, for, for me, I think I tend to have like pretty long, like periods of like intense productivity and then followed by like long periods where I don't write at all. And then, so I know like when I'm having those really productive periods. Like I, I just, that's like all I do. And I, I just go for it and I don't really let things get in the way. I, I kind of make that the priority. And I'm someone who like does really, really well when I'm with a writing group. Like I, and I love workshops. Like some people hate workshops, but I, I like do really well when I know that I'm going to be reading other people's work and I, and people are going to be reading mine. So like ever since college, like i I've always been signing up for writing classes or getting friends together and writing groups. And that really, really helps me. So I think for people, you know, and for people who do well with, with that, I, I would recommend it. Excellent. Awesome. 
All right. Well, thank you, Hannah. I'm going to go digging now for the dress so I can send you a picture. (laughs) (laughs) You can like order it or something. Maybe you can expense it to your publisher. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm excited for you. And I think it's really awesome that you've chosen to spend your time helping other people in such a direct, meaningful way for like, honestly, all of society. And that's really amazing of you, especially as you, you know, have to deal with your own parents and your own family and your own writing and all of that. So I don't know. I think that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you talking to me and and reading my book and thank you so much for having me. No, it was great. It was, uh, it was really moving and memorable. It was really vivid and the characters I'm like ready to sort of write a little short story where I have your characters go meet some characters in some of these other books. And then I can like live in this make-believe world a little bit longer. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Well, have a great day and good luck with everything as it unfolds and, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the ride. (laughs) Thank you, Sophie. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.